Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Happy holidays to everybody. And we'll see yet another awful, awful week. We'll sprinkle in some holiday cheer. We're going to try to in today's show as well. But uh, we may need George Bailey's guardian angel Clarence to come along and save us in this show. <laughs> uh, joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie, longtime journalist Stephen Kerr. And Stephen you and I are doing this on Monday because you decided to have a life on a Sunday instead of chaining yourself down like all good Texans fans would do and watch this and record a podcast and how dare you? <laughs> well, as it turned out, Robert, I, I did watch the, the worst part of the game and that was the very end when the Texans played Santa Claus and gave yet another gift. They're they're good at giving gifts, Robert. They They need to get better at either receiving gifts or just just taking, you know, taking things away from other people, like taking the ball away, getting turnovers, things like that. So <laughs> let me ask you this. What do you believe in more right now, Stephen? Do you believe in the Grinch of Jack Easterby getting fired this offseason or Justin Verlander pitching this coming season like he swears he's going to do? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably a better chance of Justin Verlander coming and pitching in 21 just because he's Justin Verlander than Jack Easterby getting fired. It's it, it's becoming about as uh, elusive as Bill O'Brien getting fired. And, you know, you, your question is, what is it going to take to make that happen? If it didn't take a Sports Illustrated article, what's going to be next? But I, I still think, though, honestly, that either before or after they get a GM in there, that it's going to happen. I mean, it's just got to. Would have helped Justin Verlander's case a little bit if he would have listened to his doctor, Chandler Rome, Houston Chronicles Chandler Rome, and got the <laughs> surgery about three months before he did, right? Well, yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But, you know, as competitive as Justin Verlander is, he's going to go out there and do what he can. And, you know, even if his arm falls off, he'll just he'll just get somebody to sew it back on and he'll go and try again. I mean, that's just the type of person he is. Don't go anywhere if you need your rockets fixed because we're going to give you our thoughts on their preseason a little bit later in this show. And Stephen, the best news for my Texan viewing habits this week was their telecast being carried again by UVerse, which meant I could use my DVR for the game. Thank goodness. <laughs> wow. Imagine that, you know, and, and it just shows that if you really get your mind to it, people can compromise. I mean, that this whole thing boiled down to just compromising and coming to an agreement. Yeah. They came to agreement just in time for another heartbreaking Texans game. But at least, Robert, let, let's look at this as positively as we can. I mean, at the first part of the game, it looked like the Texans were going to get blown out again. But at least they're, they're making a game of it. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, they're, a 4-10 team is a 4-10 team. And we can sit there and pick it apart and say, well, you know, some of their losses have been close and this thing has happened. And if that thing had happened. But ultimately, you're, you are what your record says you are. You're 4-10 and there are plenty of reasons why the Texans are 4-10. and 10. But at least it was an entertaining game. It just a, another heartbreaking fashion. But when it boils down to it, th this has just been a lousy season for the Texans. Another lousy season for the Texans. This year, it's kind of been like they're Charlie Brown at Christmas. Every time they try to kick the football, Lucy pulls it out of their way at just the last second. And then they fall in their butt. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, it. they've had way too many Lucys uh, trying to gum up the works for them. That's for sure. But but some of them, they, they've been kind of kicking themselves in the behind by some of the mistakes they've made. 
you know, the the penalties, the 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 turnovers. And and Robert, here here's a stat for you. I actually I'm gonna have you take a guess at something. In Deshaun Watson's last 45 starts in the regular season, how many touched how many times do you think the Texans have scored on their opening drive? Go ahead, take a guess. Well, it's it's one time this year, so probably not many. I would say like maybe eight. Try two. Ooh. Two out of the last 45 times the Texans have scored. If if you can't score on your first drive that many times, you're you're not really going to win that many ball games. I mean, yeah, they've gotten by the last couple of years, but it's it's things like that, and it's the lack of turnovers from the defense. It's the drop passes. It's just so many things that add up to why this Texans team isn't what it could be. I believe now he's been sacked 16 times in the last three weeks. And he kind of looks like Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. He's in the house all by himself trying to hold off the criminals with every trick he's got. (laughs) Well, and, you know, Macaulay Culkin did a pretty darn good job of it. You know, and, and I was thinking something else, too. If it weren't for Deshaun Watson... Would the Texans be the 0-14 Jets, you know, at this point? I mean, how many games Deshaun has has won, you know, just because of Deshaun Watson? And he's having to do it basically all by himself. Right. And I, look, I, I'm going to try to give you a, a couple of positives from the game to start with. And let me throw out a positive I seen from Deshaun, you know, ever since Bill O'Brien's exit. For several years, Stephen, one of my major issues has been the two-minute drill. Either Deshaun's turned a corner or this is about having a real coach who understands how to operate under pressure. Which one of those do you think it is? Well, I, I think ultimately, you know, Deshaun can thrive under pressure. I mean, if it hadn't been for that fumble, he, he would have had that touchdown. I mean, it wasn't Deshaun's fault that it happened. But obviously, it does take the right coach and the right system, too. So, you know, that, that that's really what has to happen, is you've got to have a coach that can get the best and the most out of Deshaun Watson and – Get the people around him that are going to help him succeed. Yeah, what I'm saying is, I mean, let's be clear here. The two-minute drills have been fantastic. It is not his fault that Kiki QT fumbles at the two-yard line. It's not his fault that Nick Martin can't do a snap right. But if you look at the end of halves, he did it again this week. He's been really good recently at the end of halves, at the end of games. You know, they're using timeouts correctly. All of those right. things. I, I Personally... I think this is more about the head coach than maybe Deshaun getting that much better because a big part of it is this they've never been able to use timeouts correctly. But I you know, to me part of that's always been on Deshaun too, because you're the quarterback. You're allowed to call a timeout. You don't have to rely on the head coach. And I, I just feel like he's really turned a corner. I mean, this is a positive. This is a real po- I mean, I'm trying to give you some Christmas cheer here, Stephen. No, you're absolutely right. And part of the you know, the head coach, a part of it is getting the right people around you who aren't going to make those kind of mistakes. You know, that's as much up to the head coach as anybody is getting the right personnel in place, not just talented players, but players that are, are going to come through in the clutch that, you know, will allow Deshaun to do, do what he does best. And that's that's really what it boils down to. It's not just about making great game decisions. Yeah, that's been a big part of it. And that has improved, certainly, from what Bill O'Brien was doing. But you got to have the personnel in there that, that they're not going to, you know, do be the earnest biners or the the guys that make the mistakes near the goal line and and make the stupid penalties that they've been making and some of the other mistakes that they've made that have caused Deshaun to lose these games. Another positive, 
you know, we're going to go to a ghost of Texans draft past. And it's Kahale Waring, the 2019 third round pick, caught, I believe, his first two career passes. Wahoo! Wahoo! Hey, I, I almost thought I was dreaming that I had maybe fallen asleep and that I was watching Kahale Waring. And I woke up, no, no, that actually wasn't a dream. It was really true. Kahale Waring actually did make an appearance for the Texans. Just uh, happy to see somebody in some draft class in the last couple of years do anything positive. You get Titus Howard, who didn't look like that good. Then he gets uh, the concussion, so he's out of the game. You know, haven't seen much from any of the draft picks. I mean, Charlie Heck is a guy that you drafted in the fourth round this year to be a swing tackle. Your tackle goes down, and they go to Roderick Johnson. You know, Charlie Heck is, I don't know, fourth on the tackle chart at, at this point. Uh, you just didn't hear hardly any names. You haven't heard hardly any names. With all the injuries to the wide receivers and suspensions and this and that, there's no sign of Isaiah Coulter. Um, although, you know, congratulations to Chad Hansen, who continues to make the most of his opportunity. And it seems like if the ball's near him, he catches the football. Um, and and that's been a good part of the story for the Texans the last few weeks, although I don't know if there's room for Chad Hansen. Uh, with all the guaranteed contracts that they gave to guys like Randall Cobb and and that type of thing. I mean, I, I don't know what the motto for the season is now, Stephen, but, you know, when you don't have a first or second round pick and you appear to be tanking the season, uh, is this like be a turd to get a high third, like a good draft nerd? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a pretty good one. That That's almost as good as the... Um... Team motto for the UCLA softball team that I heard the other day, stay positive, test negative. Uh, kind of the reflection of the COVID-19 situation. Yeah, be a turd and get the third. It, it's something, yeah, they're, you know, I just, I, I, I will say I, you, you can applaud the effort, but I'll just be glad when the season is over, Robert. There's, there's only two more games that you have to get through if you're a Texans fan. And then you can start worrying about getting a coach and GM in there and then maybe start trying to draft some players that are actually going to make a contribution for, for the long haul over the next few years. Another ghost from Christmas past showed up. Whitney Merciless made his first tackle since the lions game. Now don't get excited, Steven, but he's averaging one tackle per game now. Yeah. One tackle a game. Uh, when was the last time he made a sack? I don't even remember. It's been, uh, it's been so long and I have short term memory issues anyway, but, uh, one tackle is, I guess, one tackle that wouldn't have been made if he hadn't made the play, I guess. So, yeah, anything positive we can hang on to, Whitney Merciless did make a tackle. And and I will throw in another thing about, you know, David Johnson hasn't been all that great with a running game, but he was catching some passes in the backfield and and doing some good things. And Buddy Howell, you know, when he when he's touched the ball, he's done good things. He hasn't exploded for... 60, 70-yard runs, and the Texans' running game is still what it's been. But at least we're seeing some good flashes from people like Buddy Howell. Uh, David Johnson, you know, did make some good catches yesterday. So there's a couple more little positives we can throw in there when we can get them in. Yeah, I don't know if I'm looking forward to either one of those guys coming back. I, I would be very sad if either Buddy Howell or David Johnson. They just need to get some real running backs. And You know, if you look at it, there's – they just had eight possessions in this game, which is like so unusual because I, I, I chart this weekend and week out, as everybody knows. I try to figure out like what happened, where to go wrong, where to go right. 
Well, and their eight possessions, they scored on four of their last five possessions. It's probably all five if QT doesn't fumble. They lost a chance at a TV, TD on one drive because Pharaoh Brown jumped on third and inches at the five. Another guy you hope is gone by next year. He was somebody that we didn't even expect to see. He was maybe fifth on the tight end chart or something like that when they opened training camp. On the other side, the Colts, they only had seven possessions the whole game. But they scored on five of them. The good news, though, the Texans' defense only gave up one TD in the Colts' last five possessions. So in a way, you know, they, they really, after those first two horrible possessions, they looked really good, the defense did. You know, only giving up field goals pretty much until that last touchdown. And Stephen, boy, Anthony Weaver didn't help his resume reel by leaving Tyrell Adams on guess who in the secondary on the biggest play of the game for the Colts <laughs> offense. Yeah, Mr. T.Y. Hilton. You know, he was asleep for most of the game. Somebody woke him up and said, hey, hey, T.Y., we need a touchdown pass. You know, you got to do something for us. And sure enough, as he's always done, burned the Texans. He, he burned them maybe not, you know, with 12 catches for 150 yards like he's done, but he burned them when it counted. But, Robert, you know, going back to what you were saying, this is where the little mistakes, you know, giving up the big plays, the, that's where all those things make a difference between a good team and a mediocre slash bad team. And that's where the Texans are now. Any one of those things that could have gone that way, the Texans would have won really both of those indie games. They, they could have swept the Colts this year because of that. But again, this is where you are. This is why you were 4-10. and 10. You make way too many of those mistakes you don't score enough opening drive touchdowns to counter or even to jump ahead and, and take quick possession of the game and make the big defensive plays, whether it's turnovers. Those are the things that distinguish the good teams from the bad teams. With everything that we witnessed on Sunday, I got a question for you because this one I, I think we got to really think hard about. What was the absolute worst and most disastrous thing that happened to the Texans on Sunday, Stephen? Kind of a trick question. Well, if you're, you know, it must be something other than QT's catch and drop. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking me the question, right? The answer is the Jets won a game. So why is that a big deal? Well, for them, it's uh, because they lose the number one pick. Well, unless the Jags somehow beat the Bears or Colts in the next two weeks. The, the Jags are going to get the quarterback they want. That's what it is. Yeah, they're getting – I mean, we're talking about maybe the most sure thing quarterback to come out of college since, I don't know, Peyton Manning? Yeah, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if they go if he goes in the AFC South, then the Texans, you know, they, they just have to hope that the Jags screw it up like they keep screwing up. That That's the only, that's the only saving grace you're going to get out of that. Right. I, the, the Colts are going to have something to play for next week. I, the Bears are, I, I think they're still playing for something, but the Bears, you know, I mean, that something could happen there, but not likely. The Jags are getting beat pretty bad from week to week right now. It doesn't look good. Well, and, and you know what? Let, let's talk about the Colts for a minute, because while they are a good team, I'm not so sure they're a great team. No. And let's say somebody like Carson, I mean, can they beat the big boys, I guess is the question I'm I'm, saying, I'm going for, but... You know, if, if Carson Wentz is unhappy in Philadelphia and wants to be traded, you know, he could be available. Somebody else could be available in the offseason. And the, the Colts may actually think about going and getting themselves a quarterback next year because Phillip Rivers obviously isn't getting any younger. You know, how much long is he going to stick around? 
So yeah, the, the Texans are going to be up against it. If the Jags get a, another young quarterback in the draft and then the Colts get another quarterback, the, the Titans are, are pretty set at quarterback. So yeah, they're, they're going to have a pretty massive mountain to climb from this point. Yeah, the Colts, uh, they they just signed a one-year deal with Phillip Rivers. So they, they're going to have to figure out the quarterback situation there at some point. And they've got a lot of other really good pieces on that team. The offensive line is pretty darn good. They're just pushing the Texans around left and right. The defensive line was pushing the Texans' offensive line around, although that's not that big of a deal these days. But, yeah, no, I mean, the the Colts don't scare me, and the Jags don't scare me, obviously, unless they get Trevor Lawrence, which looks, like I said, really likely. Uh, the Titans don't scare me all that much. I mean, I, I just I can't get scared of Ryan Tannehill. This is just a matter of the Texans have, have got to fix some of their issues, and they got Deshaun Watson. So, you know, these are teams that they should, I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, that, that, if you look at that Titans game, they lost, what was that in overtime? They should be undefeated in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in their own uh, conference. Right. I mean, in their own uh, division. But but isn't that what, isn't that what frustrates you though, Robert, is that this division has been for the taking. I I mean, if the the Texans has been in a position to win this division again, because as you said, none of those other three teams are really scare you that much. They may be dangerous and and do some things, but but I guess that's what frustrates me more than anything. Is it? It's not as if the Texans are playing in a division that they just can never win because there are just too many good or great teams there. So that is that. That's what really gets me is they they've had all these chances. You know how many windows need to be open to cool the house down, or you know the Texans can actually climb through the window and get something done. Yeah, and they've been winning this division more often than not the last few years. They have. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, I'll I'll move to the Rockets because I'm tired of talking about the Texans. Uh, (laughs) The NBA season starts tomorrow, and Steven, man, these off-seasons, they're feeling shorter and shorter, don't they? Yeah, (laughs) it's even shorter than, I mean, the NBA season on a regular basis, it's pretty short compared to some of the others, but uh, much shorter now. And, you know, Robert, I'll be honest, despite all the James Harden talk, I got to say, you know, and I'm obviously basing this on preseason games, which is always a dangerous thing to do. But at the very least, I really like the intensity that John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins have shown. Now, can they keep it up over a 72 game season, you know, with the health issues they've had? Who knows? But just the fact that at at least, you know, you're going to start the season James Harden, you know, may still be a rocket by the time the season starts. He may not be, but it's intriguing to even think, well, if you do trade James Harden, you got to get something for him, at least something decent for him, if not good. So I'm actually looking forward to this NBA season just because there are so many intriguing questions, you know, not just with the Rockets, but with all the other teams in the Western Conference, how are things going to play out? The the schedule is going to be a lot different. It's it's definitely going to be a, a test of physicality you know, because you're going to be playing every other night for the most part. It is a compressed schedule, but it's some pretty intriguing storylines when you think about it uh, with with the start of this regular season coming up. Yeah, I, I want to get a little bit to what happened in the preseason and some of the guys that we, we saw in the preseason. But, man, it is another week in Houston sports and another week where we have a national story about what a dumpster fire one of the Houston organizations is. I mean, we had the Jack Easterby thing, and now it's the James Harden mess. 
Uh, Steven, they can't trade Harden soon enough for me. I, I'm just tired of him. I'm, I'm ready to move. What, what, what in that piece made you the most mad or that you thought was the most egregious of all the stuff that you read? I, I just feel like he has never really been the consummate team player. He's the one who makes the, has the final say on personnel decisions. I know, you know, a lot of star players do. I get that. You know, LeBron James obviously has the final say of who plays around him. But, uh, you know, I, I still think LeBron James is a team guy. He's And he's got more championships to prove it. James Harden can, can try to be whomever he wants to be, but he's still not a champion. And he's had plenty of years to figure it out. And at some point, if you're not going to figure it out, it's time to move somewhere else. And and I'm with you. You know, and, and I think the Rockets are there too because it's it's a distraction. It's you know, no matter how you try to play it off, it is a distraction. And while you don't want to dump him for for just you know a bunch of nobodies, at the very least, you you want to get something for him. You you still want a, a good closure to this as soon as you possibly can, just so you can move forward and start concentrating on nothing but the regular season and playing ball. Well, I, I'm going to answer my previous question by just saying the thing that angered me the most and you can't have the leader of your team basically dictating when the team leaves a city or they set up a practice and and it's fine i guess if the guy is going to be on time and is going to live by a certain set of standards but this whole ridiculousness this article summed it up for me best when we're talking about you know they don't know when they're going to leave a city it's based on you know what party james is going to and and they've got to wait for him to show up and it's could be he could be an hour late or two hours late for when a team plane leaves or when a bus leaves or whatever that's just that that sums up james harden about as succinctly as it possibly can and that in my opinion is why a james harden led organization will never work. Now, maybe he goes to Brooklyn or some other franchise and somebody puts him in his place and says, we're not running this as the James Harden organization. But as long as he's the best player in your organization, it's real hard to do that. Now, maybe the Miami Heat, you know, somebody like the Miami Heat can can pull that off. But, you know, if he, if he goes to Philadelphia or Toronto or someplace like that, you know, I just don't, I don't know about you, Stephen, I don't see him winning a championship when he's the guy that gets to call the shots or the best guy in the organization, you know, maybe Pat Riley can keep him in his place, but I don't know beyond another player, what guy in an organization is going to keep the leash on him. Well, and I think you just said it, Robert, who in the Rockets organization is man enough to step up and say, James, you know, look, you're our guy, but this can't be happening. The train's left the station. The polar express has left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's like, you know, trying to close the gate after the horses have already left the barn. You know, they, they waited too long to do that. They, they let him go on for too long. So, you know, for me, it's as much on the Rockets allowing this as it is on James Harden taking advantage of it. According to 538.com, their prediction has the Rockets with a 7% chance of making the finals this year. So you're telling me there's a chance? Well, I uh, you know, and according to Sports Illustrated's NBA preview, you know, they, they picked the Rockets to win the division and they they had him number four as far as in the Western Conference. So, uh, you know, now I, I don't know how much of that 
was put. I mean, they they did mention the the James Harden trade possibility. So I don't know when they actually made those rankings, but I thought it was rather generous that Sports Illustrated picked the Rockets to not only win the division, but they actually had him as the number four seed in the West. Yeah, I don't know what you do with James Harden, who, speaking of uh, Christmas movies, an underrated one, trading places, he's going somewhere. We know that. He's, he's not going to last the whole season. Um, and ESPN's 97.5 John Granado tweeted that the two leaders in a Harden trade are the Celtics in a Jalen Brown package and the Raptors in a Pascal Siakam package. And Stephen, I, I got to say that Granado has nailed it on some other recent stories. So yeah, he's a very reliable source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's pretend you're the Rockets and you're choosing between Brown and Siakam. Let me throw this up at you, like just a here's Jalen Brown and here's Siakam. Jalen Brown scored 20 a game last year, shot 38 percent from three. Uh, he's considered a really good defender. Siakam is a great defender. Defender won a championship two years ago, scored 23 a game last year while shooting 36% from three. So he's about about what you want, sort of league average, maybe a little bit better. Brown's 24 years old. Siakam's 26. Siakam a little bit older. Both are signed till 2024, although Brown is averaging about $9 million less per year than Siakam. Do you have a preference between either one of those two? It's a, it's a real tough choice. It is a toss up. I mean, as much as I would love to have Siakam just, you know, for his defense, you know, the Rockets, if if they need anything, it's defense. The, the fact is, if you're getting rid of James Harden, uh, you know, and his shooting, I mean, Jalen Brown's shooting would be hard to ignore. I, I would almost say go with Jalen Brown first as, as the guy that you would put in there and Siakam would be my second choice. Both teams, I believe would have to add a little bit. Now I don't know if Toronto's got to add much at all. As far as salary, Jalen Brown, it's gotta be uh Marcus smart. So if you get Brown and Marcus smart for that reason, I think it's the better package. Oh, I would. Yeah, I would certainly do that. Absolutely. But a lot of times also you have to think of, you know, usually you win a deal by getting the best player in the deal. Now, you know, I'm not saying that these guys are a better player than James Harden, but you're you're deciding who's the best player between I, in all these trades. You got to look at, um, you know, am I getting the best player between whatever whoever it is, Ben Simmons and Siakam, or Jalen Brown and Siakam, or whoever the the two are. Yeah, so, we were talking last week about Tyler Hero or you know Chris Middleton and those guys. That that's what it would be for me is who is the best player that can help us. Right now, as soon as James Harden leaves the team, and then all the rest of that stuff is is valuable, but it, it's going to help you down the road. Yeah, and I'm going to get into it in a little bit, but we're going to we're going to have another podcast coming up this week where we're going to get into some of these trade scenarios. But you know, I I, I got to say because you you were talking about it earlier, Stephen, John Wall looked really impressive in his three games. There's a confidence I feel with Wall that I never felt with Westbrook. It's back to what I felt when Chris Paul was wearing red. When he takes a three-point shot, I have way more confidence that it's going in. He made a third of his three-point shots in the preseason. Not spectacular, but better than Westbrook. Steven, there are no remnants of the injury, you know, just on if I'm just going by the eye test. In fact, there was a quote from Wall where he said, I feel like I'm back in high school all over again. I don't feel as fast. I feel faster. Yeah, I saw that too, Robert. And, and I think the, the things that really jump out at me about John Wall – 
and the same for DeMarcus Cousins. You know, it's kind of I, I've, I've liked the way he's looked too. You know, both of these guys have something to prove because they've certainly, you know, they, they've heard the negative talk that, you know, can they even come back from this type of thing? So they have a little chip on their shoulder. And I think in John Wall's case, you know, he, he had some, it, it, well, you talk about a, a tough last couple of years for this guy. You know, not only has he had multiple injuries, but he lost his mom, you know, to breast cancer, who he was very close to, his best friend, who, you know, he had a lot of things. It, it was a sounding board. That really affected him. He was away from the game for so long. I think just the fact that he's gotten back on the court, been able to do what what he's always loved to do, you know, that along with just the fact that that he's obviously getting his confidence back because he's able to, to show that kind of physical intensity without any ill effects so far, that's really what's been inspiring to see with John Wall. You know what I think of when I see him? He's kind of the intelligence as far as a passer and the intelligence on the defensive end, the, the definite effort on the defensive end. All of that reminds me of Chris Paul, but his athleticism is closer to Russell Westbrook. I mean, we saw Chris Paul that, you know, he's he's a smaller guy. He, he's not a big leaper, any of that sort of stuff. And, and not that, you know, they're anywhere close to the athlete of like a Russell Westbrook uh, uh, the John Wall. I mean, John Wall's not close to that kind of athlete. But what what I will say is that he reminds me kind of the best of both of those guys in in a way. And you know, he's younger than Chris Paul, um, so you're gonna ha- you'd have a few more years of him. I mean, as long as he is, he's gonna stay healthy, and that 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 Achilles is gonna hold up. I mean, that's that's to me, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm very excited. And and something else you said a minute ago, Robert, when you were talking about the shooting, he is obviously, he, he takes smarter shots than Russell Westbrook. And that alone, <laughs> that alone makes me feel better. Now, you know, we, again, we, we have a small sample size to go on. So I, I'm trying not to get too excited about this whole thing until I see a little bit more, but gosh, I mean, you've got to like what you see so far. I'm going to bring up another guy that impressed me in the preseason. And, you know, we talked about it. It's not a matter of if James Harden gets dealt. It's a matter of when. And I see a few people who still love James and don't want to see him go. I feel the opposite, of course. But, you know, it's it's one thing that it's almost sad to see as a Rockets fan is in the one game that Christian Wood played with James, he looks like the absolute perfect pick-and-roll partner for Harden and easily the best pick and roll partner he's ever had. And Steven, he's better than Capella or Dwight Howard, obviously Westbrook and Paul. In fact, because his three point shot looks pretty solid, he's probably a better pick and roll partner than, you know, if he goes to Philly with Embiid or Miami with Bam, you know, assuming, you know, Harden ends up in those places. I think Christian Woods better than all of that. I mean, I'm so impressed with what he looks like and what, what he brings. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and you know, the Rockets, I mean, they got Christian Wood. And I think, you know, probably for that purpose, hoping that James would, would stay put. Because can you imagine with, you know, given time for those two to work together, what that would be like? I mean, yeah, I I love the Christian Wood uh, addition. I can't wait to see what he's going to do over the long haul either. And his, yeah, his three-point shooting, I, I just, I'm hoping that, that with all of this, the Rockets will have more consistency in the three-point shooting, and that they just take better shots. I mean, you know, make better shooting decisions. They're still going to shoot a lot of three-pointers. I mean, I I think we're going to see that still. 
but if they're if they're better shots, if there's better shot selection, and I love you know the driving to the hoop that I've been seeing in the preseason too. Yeah, you talk about things changing under the new regime, shot selection, all of that. You know, man, Coach Silas, uh, he believes in what shot that we have not seen, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I want to get back to Christian Wood because of something that he did. You know, when he he made that one play where you probably heard Bill Worrell <laughs> make the comment of who needs James Harden just because of some of the things Wood was doing. I mean, that that's that's enough to make me excited. Yeah, the shot I'm talking about is the mid range. And, you know, as far as the other Rockets acquisitions, you know, I love the energy that hustle defense David Nwaba has. He averaged two steals a game. Deshaun Tate looks like somebody you can play in a pinch. Love his energy and hustle too. Neither of them knocked down three-point shooters, but Steven, you can see without Maury and D'Antoni, like I, like I said, the Rockets are at least open to the mid-range jumper. And if you think I'm kidding, ask Ben McLemore's shot chart. That's right. Ben McLemore is becoming so much better at that. And that, that was the one thing that I just kept saying all, you know, well, the last several years, Robert, really is why don't you guys – Take more mid-range jumpers when your threes aren't falling. I mean, that was the thing that was frustrating me so much, as well as, well as driving to the hoop, is the mid-range jumper. You know, your threes aren't falling. You've got to have something else to rely on. You, you can't just be a one-trick pony. So I'm hoping that throughout this regular season, that's what we're going to see with the Rockets is more mid-range shooting and more drives to the hoop on a consistent basis. How else have things changed under Coach Silas? Well, he says he wants to go 10 deep in the rotation and let's see who those 10 guys are. I'm going to go through the list here, Stephen, to see what you think. The locks, of course, John Wall, James Harden, uh, Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, PJ Tucker, Daniel house, Ben McLemore, Boogie cousins, and Daniel or David Nwaba. I, those guys to me are nine locks in the rotation. I, just cause I really like what Nwaba does on defense and, um, just really impressed with his defense and, and the preseason. Um, I'm guessing Sterling Brown or Jashan Tate is number 10. I guess I'm leading towards Tate from what I saw of him in the preseason. Caboclo, he gets in the rotation on the nights when they rest Boogie. Uh, right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would have to say so. It, it would be a toss-up. I mean, Sterling Brown, yeah, I wasn't. I, he, he's seen only brief action, of course. So you don't have a big sample size, and it didn't exactly dazzle when he was in there. So I'd have to say Tate. I, I'm just sad, and, and this could change, Robert. I'm just sad that Gerald Green is not going to be one of those guys, at least at the moment. Yeah, let's get into that, what, what exactly happened there, because it's, it's a little weird. But uh, Chris Clemens, he catches the Achilles virus from yeah, the rest of the he's Rockets. not going to be in there either. So... You know, I mean, I don't know if he rubbed Achilles with John Wall, Boogie, and, and Waba or something like that. <laughs> it's contagious. Stay away from those guys. <laughs> yeah, the, the other virus that that's, uh, we're dealing with here. And you feel awful for Clemens because this was his shot. He's an edge-of-the-roster player, needs all the athletic ability he can get with that 5'8 frame. So this is likely the end of his NBA dreams, most likely. But Stephen, putting that aside, what happened with his injury, it's just a minor travesty for the roster makeup. It's a complicated story, but his injury because his contract became guaranteed after the injury meant Gerald green. Like you said, got the heave ho. This whole deal makes me mad at Daryl Morey who signed that Clemens contract. Look, I just don't see a world 
where somebody with Chris Clemens size at, you know, he's a midget out there should ever be in a modern NBA playoff game. And if he's not somebody you want to play in a modern NBA playoff game, you know, why sign him to this weird deal that they gave him that uh, basically screwed you out of Gerald green. And I just don't get it. I just don't. Well, he must have consulted with Bill O'Brien about, you know, who to pay a lot of money to um, <laughs> yeah. for that situation. So it's, but, you know, that's what that's what's so sad about this, Robert, is that this whole thing is a cap issue. It's one thing to waive a player because they're just not cutting it. You know, they're just not a great, a great shooter. They they didn't have a good camp. Gerald Green was cut because of a cap issue. That's it. Now, you know, there there could be a point if if something else happens, whether it's through the James Harden trade or, or some other type of situation that maybe Gerald Green can come back at some point during the season as a player. But right now, this is what it is. And you've got a guy on your roster, you're paying all this money, who isn't even going to play this year because he's injured. He's out. He's gone. What sucks is it's so hard, almost impossible to find somebody like Gerald Green that you can put at the back end of your bench that doesn't necessarily have to be in the rotation, who's excited about playing for your team because he's from the city, who loves the city, who loves playing for the Rockets as much as he does, who reps the Rockets, who reps the city, all of that. But to find a guy like that who can come in and get you 16 or 20 in a night, just get hot and light it up, the, the, those are dime a dozen guys. And, and, and Gerald Green was the perfect guy to have as a 10, 11, 12 13 guy on your roster and it's just that stinks and it's all because of the Chris Clemens contract yeah well you'll just have to hope that that something can happen because I just love Gerald Green not only as a player but as a person I mean he's obviously he's behind you know at one point James Harden was was a popular player well you know Gerald Green we call him the mayor for a reason (laughs) he was definitely one of the most popular players on the Rockets so you hope that something will break and and he can come back as, as soon as possible yeah, I, I, you don't wish that he can't find a job in the rest of the NBA. I think he deserves to have a job on a roster, but that's all you can hope for because that's the only way you're going to get him back this year is if people just like you know decide that they're not interested in, in what Gerald Green has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else on the Rockets? Do you have any other observations from the preseason or as we get ready for the regular season here coming up? Well, I just, you know, so far I like what Steven Silas is doing. I, I think he is trying to create a, a good culture, you know, with the players they have. And now we just have to hope that over the long haul of the regular season that things don't get too crazy. But, you know, as crazy as this year has been, I guess we just need to brace for just about anything to happen. If we could just get this hardened thing off our plate, then we can at least move on with whatever the Rockets end up with because of that. Speaking of the Harden deal as a christmas gift to all our listeners we're going to have a bonus pod this week that will focus on hardened potential deals on my schedule tuesday night is a conversation with the bajani brothers most of you know sean bajani for as many years on sports radio 610 he's been on the show a few times over the years but this time i'll have him with his brother ali bajani who covers the rockets for the athletic ali's been on before as well it should be interesting because if you look at the potential hardened destinations and trade packages got a pretty good idea at this point what Rafael Stone has to choose from. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I, Steven, I, I was trying to think of something with the Astros. Nothing really comes up uh, of major import. We talked a little bit about Verlander earlier. I guess, I guess the biggest thing is I, I think 
on MLB on the MLB network, maybe it was James click sort of gave you the indication that Springer's out, which we knew I don't, I, there's no way they're keeping Springer. Um, and maybe Brantley's got a shot. Maybe they got a shot at keeping him. I, my big thing with Brantley, I just don't know where, what you do because he's somebody that's leaning as each year goes along closer and closer to a DH. He can only really play left field. I mean, I guess you can put him in right in a pinch, but you really want him playing left field. And, and I think him and Jordan, a healthy Jordan, sort of cross each other out. You know what I mean? Well, they do. And I mean, the thing about getting Brantley back is if he can play left field, he'll at least be worth something because you just don't know what Jordan's health is going to be. I mean, at, at this point, you can't really count on him playing an outfield position on a regular basis. He's almost going to have to be your DH. So that in itself would be a plus to get Brantley back. And I think that is certainly, it, it's a bigger chance than getting Springer. Although, you know, as slow as the MLB offseason is moving, you know, when all the uncertainty surrounded, I, I just, I, almost anything is possible at this point, Robert. And the longer this goes, you know, the more you wonder, well, who is going to get the big contract? Because so many of these teams, it's like they're they're sitting around waiting for the other to act. You know, we 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 saw the thing with James McCann and the Mets, but I mean, other than that, it it's been unusually quiet. But things you, you certainly start to heat up in January, I would think. But in a year that has just that's not been normal to begin with, the longer this goes on, then the more you start to wonder. Hmm, you know, the Astros do have some choices because you know there were a number of players that. Uh, we're not offered arbitration. So there's some choices to be made there along with, you know, the regular free agents that were already out there. It's interesting because I'm wondering if some of these owners and general managers are looking at this vaccine rollout and they're going, well, how much can we afford to pay? How many people are we going to get in the stands? You know, if any, um, I, you know, I can't imagine in the first few months, maybe by, the end of the season, July and August, they'll be able to pile some people into the stands. And uh, by the playoffs, you know, hopefully that's the case. But you you wonder if that's playing into it at all. You know, like we can wait a while before we sign these guys uh, because, you know, there's there's no hurry. You don't have to sign anybody in December or January or February. No, I think that's absolutely true because there, there's too much uncertainty. And and like I said, there there is more to choose from out there. So I, I think, you know, the, the teams are definitely in a better position at this point to sit it out and wait and see what happens. But at some point, you know, something's going to have to give. And I just hope, Robert, that, that they come up with a uniform process as far as fans, because I don't think it's fair that you can go to one part of the country and have 25, 30, 40 percent capacity. And then another part of the country where you don't have any fans at all. But knowing Major League Baseball, you know, and the lack of leadership, that's probably what it's going to end up as. You know, you're going to have home teams that are going to have fans. You're going to have teams that aren't because they just can't seem to agree on a uniform plan. Yeah, that's true. I I, I don't know what you do because, you know, if you're baseball, you want to get everybody that you can get as far as fans into the ballpark, revenue into the ballpark. Um, so to say, okay, well, I know you guys can, you know, get – 30,000 in because you live in such and such state, but you know, XYZ team over here can only get 5,000 because they live in this other state and there's an outbreak going on over here. So we got to limit you. And it, and the other thing, Stephen, is it's, it's constantly, you know, it changes. This whole thing kind of has changed 
month to month and place to place, depending on, you know, you got an outbreak in this state. Now you got an outbreak in that state. So it's, 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 it's tough. They're in a tough spot. Yeah, it, it is a tough spot to be in. I mean, I wouldn't want to be the one making that decision. So it's, it's easy for me to sit, you and I to sit here and say what they should do. So I, I'm not making light of the situation at all, but it just, because of the fluidity and, and the uncertainty of the situation, that's, that's what they're faced with. Well, since we're just days away here from Christmas and you and I have been Houston sports fans since we were kids, I'm wondering just out of curiosity, what was the most memorable Houston sports gift that you were given when you were a kid? Oh, that's an easy one. I got to tell you. Um, I was in high school. It, I want to say it was about a year after Earl Campbell's rookie year with the Oilers, which would have been 1978. So I want to say it was the Christmas of 79. My mom's boss I don't know how he did this, but, you know, he had connections, so it, it shouldn't surprise me. But he gave me as a Christmas present an autographed football that was signed by the entire 1978 Oilers squad. Oh, now right. that, yeah, that was one. That, there is no, I, I'll be honest, I haven't gotten a lot of what you might call sports Christmas gifts, you know, as far as sports memorabilia Christmas gifts. I haven't gotten a lot of those in my lifetime, either as a kid, as an adult. But let me tell you, even if I had, that one would have taken the cake right there. Yeah, I, I, I have nothing to match that. And I was trying to think, you know, because, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I've gotten Houston sports stuff over the years, but uh, just something that sticks out from the holidays, nothing in particular. I mean, I, I used to get, I would always get baseball cards. So I've got whole sets of right. years from the 1980s of baseball cards. And right now they're sitting in my living room trying to figure out what, if anything, I'm going to do with them. Might give them to a, a cousin who's a big uh, sports fan. But um, th th that's the thing, I guess, that I, I guess would stick out the most of, of all my gifts. And I, I don't even remember, you know, how much of that was, you know, for the holidays and how much of that was for my birthday or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, there's no way for me to match. And I, boy, I would have been going nuts if I got the 1978 because that that was happening while I was, I, I want to say, seven years old. Yeah, I, I was in high school by that point. If it was 79, yeah, it was 79. So I, I believe I was a junior in high school. So, oh, yeah, I talk about going nuts. I did. And, and I also remember getting my first basketball hoop as a kid as a Christmas present and I, I probably bugged my parents, you know, 10 times. Oh, let's just forget the rest of the gifts. I want you to put it up so I can go play basketball. So my first basketball hoop was a Christmas present. I'm trying to remember uh, what it was called, but I had this NBA game that used uh, VHS tapes. And I can't remember what what the deal oh, was. Oh, you know, I never had one of those, but I've, I've heard about them. I bet, I bet that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember what you did with it and how it worked. But I, I do remember something like that. And, you know, I when I was a kid, I, I don't know about you, when I was a kid, um, you know, I had I had the Nerf ball and the, and the Nerf net. So I, I, I used to go, yeah. I used to play, uh, you know, basketball in my in my bedroom all the time. And what I would do is I, I knew everybody shot and how it looked. And so, you know, I'd, I'd do that kind of thing. I, I, I knew, uh, 
like most of the, of course, all the Rockets players and how they shot, but I, I knew a, like a lot of the stars and their release point and all that. So that was kind of, I, I don't know if that's like a holiday memory, but it's just like, as a kid, that's, that's one of my favorite things I used to do with the, with the uh, NBA in particular. I mean, I'm thinking NBA right now, since we're about to start the season. And, and frankly, it's in a lot of ways, it's become my favorite sport over the years. I, I just, there's something about the NBA that I love it. You know, one of the things might be just the fact that the games are nice and compact and they they're they're kind of like baseball where you get a pretty regular dose of it the NBA you get it pretty consistently as opposed to the NFL where you only got a certain amount of games so there's this you know there's a i guess you would call it a uh, a, a routine that you can get a little bit in the NBA it's like oh good there's another NBA game on uh, today and there's one in a couple of days and there's one on tomorrow and stuff like that but also you know a big factor for me with the nba is you you feel like you know the players a, a lot more than you would for instance in the nfl because you know they're they're wearing shorts and they're they don't have a helmet on and all that they don't have hats or caps and so you know and 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 there's only so many guys on a team so you know every guy on the rockets team like you like that's right i, I don't know about you steven but um if you if you put a gun to my head, I don't know how many of the Texans players I could actually rattle off, but I, I feel like I could rattle like almost all of them. But I, I'm sure I would miss a couple. Well, when I was a kid, I could rattle off you know pretty much the whole Oilers team, you know. But try to do that now, yeah, it'd be a challenge. My my memory is not as good as it used to be. Yeah, that's that's something to be said, Robert. It just you know sports. Uh, when it comes to the holidays, you know, like anything else, sports is a big part of it, and and you know the NBA, of course, is usually in high gear around Christmas. Now, when we were growing up, I don't know that we had the Christmas Day games. You know, that was probably something more recent. But but it was definitely in the height of the season. It was it was hot. Uh, football was winding down. So basketball was definitely a sport that you could lean on. And so that's why I think some of those Christmas presents, like, you know, your first basketball hoop or, you know, you get a, a Nerf ball game that you can play in your room around Christmas time. That, that's why I think some of those uh, gifts can identify with the holidays. Was it Randy Bullock uh, for when he was with the Bengals that missed the the kick? It was that three or four years ago or five years yeah. ago? Yeah. And the Texans won the division with that, right? That's right. They did. I, 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 they sure did. So that was a good Christmas present too. Yeah. Was that Christmas Eve? Wasn't that Christmas Eve? Yeah. I think it had to have been or as close to it anyway. Yeah. I was in the press box for that game. So I... <laughs> I remember that. So you saw it live and up close, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was odd because Bullock, former Texan, went to Klein High School here locally. You know, you're kind of rooting for the kid. He's an Aggie. I mean, is the whole local thing. Was, speaking of the Aggies, just out of curiosity, what, what did you think of that? The Aggies getting the old heave ho on the on the playoff, and where where are you on on this whole playoff? Well, I didn't like it. it you know, Robert. The the sad thing is, I have never. I, I don't care how they try to fix it, but they, I have never liked the whole college football system, the the postseason system, because even with a fourteen playoff, somebody's going to get left out, and it still comes down to subjectivity. It's all about the brand. You know, yeah, Texas A and M, they're an established brand. They've been around forever. But as far as nationally is concerned, it takes years to develop that national reputation where if you're in Alabama, if you're a Clemson, if you're in Ohio State, and even though they've had a lot of down years, you know, Notre Dame, it, it's all about the brand that gets you in and the reputation. 
Texas A&M had a season that was worthy of them making the playoffs. They absolutely should have been there. But because they're not Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and those guys, they're on the outside looking in, and it's just not fair. From the beginning with the playoff, I thought you have to do eight teams. Because four teams, there's always going to be somebody that, well, this team belongs in, that team belongs in. Yeah, I get it. There's going to be somebody arguing that their team should get in when there's eight teams. But if you got to argue to be number eight or be number seven or whatever, then folks, come on, You're, you weren't going to win the championship. But if you if, if there's a good argument for you to be number four or three, yeah, you you should have a shot at the champion. That's where I have my problem is this should be eight. I mean, the, the other uh, football divisions, they give, what is it? Is it 16 altogether? Something like that? It's yeah, a, it's a 16 team play. And, and you could even argue for that. But to me, like, I'll compromise with you. Give me eight teams. I mean, that that's the easy solution to this. And then those teams that are non power five schools, at least would have a shot at being in something like this. And you give a little carrot like, hey, if you're undefeated in your central Florida or Cincinnati or whoever, you can get in there, you can get in the dance. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I almost feel like, you know, when they put this whole CFP structure together, it was almost like they, they wanted to do the bare minimum. Well, everybody's screaming for a playoff. We better do it. But we're not going to do it any more than we have to. It's only going to be four teams. That's all you need. And they're going to dig their heels in and probably stick with that until, you know, enough athletic directors or, you know, the powers that be uh, decide to get on board and say, all right, we'll add four more. But until that happens... You know, we're going to we're probably going to have this discussion every year, Robert. That's just, you know, that the cold, hard truth about it. Well, that's about all we got for this one. I, before we go, I just want to wish everybody out there, you know, the best holiday season. Hopefully we get a, a better year. I don't know if it can be worse than this year. I don't know if that's possible. Well, let's hope not. Boy, if it is, we're really in trouble. But yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah. And the other thing I, I got to say is. Uh, all I want for Christmas is not you, Jack Easterby. So I'll, I'll, I'll end with that. <laughs> I'll echo that. I'll echo that. <laughs> and uh, you know how to do it. Messages through Twitter, Facebook, email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. HoustonSportsTalk.net, by the way, the big website. But you can also find us through our Podomatic site, the podcast. Uh, we'll tell you in a little bit how you can find that. But, uh, you know, just have a wonderful week and stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.